welcome to another episode of the Front Proof Nation podcast. I am Joseph Correa. I'm here with Hector Franco, and today we have a special guest, Steven Weinberg, boxing pundit, super fan, and Front Proof Media contributor. He will give his thoughts as well on all the topics discussed. How you doing, Hector? Man, I'm doing good. I can't wait to get this show started so we could talk a little Canelo Kovalev, talk about last week's fights, and uh, preview some of the upcoming fights this weekend. Steven, are you with us, sir? I am. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. All right, Steven. So, you know, first thing here, we want to take a look at this upcoming light heavyweight championship bout between Saul Canelo Alvarez and Sergey Kovalev. They will be fighting at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, as we know, this fight is being promoted as one of the biggest fights of the year. Just as your initial thoughts on this matchup, what do you think about this matchup and who do you have winning at this time? Uh, I, I'm super excited. You know, the closer uh, closer we get to Saturday night, the more excited I am. And uh, I really think it's a 50-50 fight. Uh, I think about 70-80% of the people out there are, are picking uh, Canelo. Uh, and, you know, my, my heart says Kovalev. My head says uh, Canelo. But one of, one of the interesting things is I don't think that Kovalev is as faded as everyone says he is. He has had a rejuvenation under McGirt. Uh, and Kovalev knows exactly what Canelo has to do to beat him. And if you know what the other team's offense is going to be, then your defense can be set up perfectly. I think Kovalev has advantage that way. That's definitely a good point, Stephen. I, I think that... It's funny how the guy moving up in weight is going to be the guy that everybody looks at as the one who's going to come forward and destroy the other guy to the body. And then the bigger guy is the one that's going to need to kind of use his jab and box from the outside just from, you know, how we've seen them fight in the past. Now, as of right now, Kovalev is a four to one underdog um, against Canelo Alvarez. Do you feel like I know you brought this up a little bit has Kovalev's stature since losing to Andre Ward dropped in the sport as far as his opinion with most fans? Uh, absolutely. I, I think Andre Ward has said it himself. Uh, he is no longer the crusher. He is simply Sergey Kovalev. Uh, and you can see it, uh, or, or we saw it in the Alvarez fight when he was knocked out in the seventh, eighth round, I think it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and he took that step back and arguably with, with Yarde, who has never sparred, uh, injures him greatly in the eighth round. So uh, Kovalev uh, is, is not the crusher anymore. He's not the fear guy that, that, he, once, that he once was. Um, and you know, Canelo, Canelo saw an opportunity that uh, his promoters didn't want him to take. Uh, kudos to Canelo. Uh, but I want to I talk about Canelo moving up in weight. Uh, he has to cut weight to make 160. Um, he probably had to cut a little weight to make 168 in the Rocky Fielding fight. So he may be fighting closer to his natural weight. Kovalev has acknowledged this. He's the one who's cut. Kovalev is the one cutting weight. And he's the one who could be uh, a little bit weaker. So I don't think that 
the move from 160 to 175 pounds is going to be as much of a factor uh, unto itself in terms of being able to push a guy around versus what it's like being in the ring with the largest opponent you've ever been in the ring against. That's definitely a good point, Stephen. I think that Canelo actually looks in really good shape at 175. In fact, so much so that I'm not sure if he's going to come back down to middleweight. I mean, we certainly know that there's a lot of fights available for him at super middleweight, um, especially one against Callum Smith. You know, I think that's the one that most people are would look forward to should Canelo return to that division. But, you know, kind of veering within the same space, you know, Canelo stated something interesting uh, yesterday at the uh, Grand Arrivals for the media day at the MGM Grand Arena. You know, I guess he was asked by a reporter his thoughts on his rankings currently pound for pound. And, you know, he gave his thoughts that he he feels that he should be ranked number one pound for pound based on his resume. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, the pound for pound rankings are always controversial and a hot topic with boxing fans, right? right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's one of the it's one of the more fun conversations we as boxing fans can have. Uh, he has a great resume. Uh, arguably, uh, as we were talking before the show started, uh, he has the best resume out there uh, of active fighters, uh, bar Manny Pacquiao. Correct. Uh, yeah. But. His fights are controversial, and uh, uh, in in my mind, that would diminish him slightly pound for pound. If somebody wants to say he's pound for pound, absolutely okay. It's a val. I, I believe it's a valid argument. I don't necessarily agree with it. If he beats Kovalev, as eighty percent of the people are saying. In my mind, he will then be pound for pound, and he's probably going to be pound for pound for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, if he goes out there and destroys Kovalev and, you know, stops him or, you know, wins very clearly, I I definitely think that is definitely a possibility. And and I agree with you. One of the things that would stop me— from ranking Canelo as number one pound for pound. Now, obviously, when you do these kind of lists, um, you almost have to take your own biases out of it, in a way. Uh, Because for me, I I thought he lost both Golovkin fights, and I thought he lost to Lara. So, for me, I I think he should have four losses on his record versus just the one that he has. Um, So, I wouldn't rank him pound for pound uh, currently as number one. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, when you're the number one superstar in the sport, it may not matter. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that he is. He's definitely the cash cow in boxing. Um, It was him. It was Anthony Joshua. We saw what happened in the Joshua fight with Andy Ruiz Jr. Right. That kind of spoiled that. But you can't sit here and say that he's not the guy who has the biggest draw in boxing. It's just odd to me, you know, with the resume and everything and with the controversial fights, I do agree with Steven. He has a lot of those because he has a lot of guys where people can make the argument that that guy was faded. This guy was faded. You know, now Kovalev, a lot of people are saying he's fighting a faded fighter. You know, I said when they announced the fight, my initial reaction was, He's fighting a guy for legacy points, basically. Yeah. It's it's a legacy fight for him because he doesn't belong in the 175 division. There's no way. He's not a he's not a uh 
He's not a light heavyweight, excuse me. Um, I don't think he'll fight at light heavyweight after this fight. Um, and it's a dangerous fight for him if he does, because you remember Roy Jones Jr. went up to heavyweight, defeated Ruiz himself. Um, not Andy Ruiz, but John the, Ruiz, the most boring Ruiz of the Ruizes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he got goaded into the fight with Tarver in the first fight. He looked terrible. Second fight, we all know what happened. And, you know, it changed Roy forever. The yeah. same thing could happen to Canelo. I mean, he's young enough to bounce back, but if he plays this game of bouncing between weight classes, it really could hurt him. But I'm not sure that he cares because at this point he has enough fights. His legacy's built. He really doesn't have to fight if he doesn't want to. And he's not even 30 years old yet. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, he's not even 30 years old. What but- are your thoughts on that, Stephen? Well, there's, there's, you know, talk about, I, I really like the expression you used, uh, uh, a legacy fight. And there's, there's no doubt that Canelo is, is going to be a hall of famer. Um, he, he, he did apparently, or somebody on his team, uh, I believe today said they are interested in uh beater uh, if they, they beat Kovalev. So it would be interesting if he stays up at 175 uh, pounds, uh, then it's going to be the battle of the inside game. And there's no way that Canelo is going to win that with uh beater The, the, uh, Canelo is, is he, he's, He's a trailblazer. He's a trailblazer. I, I want to say sort of like you know Floyd Mayweather was a trailblazer in a Floyd on the business side of things wrote the script. And I think Canelo is a trailblazer in the sense that he's writing the script of who he's going to fight. And he's going to fight for that, you know, for his legacy. And kudos to him. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's great for the sport of boxing. Uh, everybody knows who he is. Um, you know, you know, God bless him. Uh, you know, against Kovalev, I mean, talking about the fight itself, shifting topics slightly. Uh, I, too, think he lost the two Golovkin fights and the Lara fight. Um, and it was Golovkin's jab that, that I believe – won it so now he's going up against somebody who is a, a, a considered a better jabber I mean, he, how many guys has Kovalev knocked out with the jab yeah so, I, mean, I don't know if Kovalev has a better jab than Golovkin but he certainly is a light heavyweight who probably has a jab that will affect Canelo that much more I mean it's Kovalev's biggest weapon along with his right hand and I think it's clear what the game plan should be for both guys um and you know I'm not really you can't really complain too much about Canelo especially lately I mean in the span of less than 12 months I mean you know Rocky Fielding was a a softer touch but you know he just fought Daniel Jacobs and now Sergey Kovalev you know all within a 12 month span I think that not only a good showing for the superstar, the biggest superstar in boxing of staying active, um, but also fighting quality opponents. And, you know, almost a bit of a shift here as well. Do you feel that, you know, because for me, I actually, and, and you know, I'm, I might be on a on an island by myself here, but I, I felt that Canelo's performance against Daniel Jacobs was one of his best performances, especially from a defensive standpoint. What, what do you feel like is Canelo's best performance so far? Oh, geez. Um, 
you're, you're uh, asking me to test my memory now, and that's going to be difficult. <laughs> Uh, I, I can't say, I can't say, I can't, I can't go into the depths of, of my memory banks, uh, 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 for that. And it just, you know, like everybody else, I'm going to say, he just continues to improve. Right. Uh, I, I certainly think that he did better against Daniel, Danny Jacobs than, uh, than triple D triple G did. I would agree with um, that. And he continues, he continues to improve. Uh, Cotto, um, you know, I think he easily won 10 of those rounds against Cotto. Um, you know, is that, is that, is that his defense? Is that his offense? Uh, you know, who's, who's, who's to say, um, what's going to have to be done on Saturday night is he's going to have to be fleet of foot and, and that much we know. And I think that's going to be, that's going to decide, uh, uh, the match on Saturday night is, is how well Canelo can move around the ring. Well, one thing we do know, he has very, very good upper body movement. And that seems to have come into play after the Mayweather fight. He learned a lot in that fight because he's always had stone feet. You know, he kind of plods around and he doesn't have great feet. But upper body movement, I've noticed a, a tremendous shift in his upper body movement ever since the loss to Floyd Mayweather Jr. Would you agree with that? One hundred percent. That that was um, that was the the best thing that could have happened to Canelo was that Floyd Mayweather fight, uh, because all he's done is improve since uh, uh, and continue to face quality opposition and 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 look good against quality uh, quality opposition regardless of whether we think he should have lost some fights or, or, or won some fights. So that being said, you mentioned it slightly who you kind of favor in the fight. Who do you think wins when the two Canelo and Kovalev meet this upcoming weekend? What's your uh, prediction? I got, I got to repeat myself is uh, my, my heart goes with Kovalev. My head goes with Canelo. It, it, you know, there's something we didn't talk about, and and is Kovalev has a a uh, recent history of outside the ring problems, and I believe he's got an, uh, a court date shortly after this fight. I think it's on the uh, the week of the fifteenth um, in California, um, and and that could greatly affect him. Um, if that's in the back of his mind during this, and uh, you know that's going to take his focus off off the training, off the preparation, and that's why I would say fifty one percent Canelo, forty nine percent Kovalev at this point. Let's put it this way: if I had a, if I had to go to Vegas and bet, I, I wouldn't be betting on this fight. <laughs> right, and I think that that might be it. I think you're talking about a court case or it was some incident with a with a woman on a plane. I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, but I think maybe part of that played into why he has such a quick turnaround. Um, you know, he just fought August August 24th um, against Anthony Yard. You know, this fight, um, you know, just a couple months later, the beginning of November. So the turnaround time, you know, hasn't been, you know, what's the usual for this particular era of boxing. So I think maybe that's why they did it. But at the same time, you know, I think it's good for an older fighter to stay active. I've heard only positive things about his relationship with Buddy McGirt since they got together. So, you know, there's different kinds of trainers, you know, in boxing. There's some that, you know, can assist you in, in, in getting you better technically. And some maybe just 
are there to calm you down and measure your temperament. And maybe that's what Buddy McGirt has done for Kovalev. For me, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to go with Kovalev uh, by clear unanimous decision. Um, I'm thinking that his jab is going to play a big factor in the fight and his power as well. Um, Getting hit by a light heavyweight, I think that we're going to see Canelo get knocked down um, for the first time in his career, or a real knockdown, I should say, for the first time in his career, at least, you know, since we've seen him on the the big stage on HBO and Showtime, etc. So, you know, I'm I'm going out on a limb. I'm going with Kovalev by unanimous decision. Okay, so with that prediction then, Tell us what you think, both of you, I want to know from both of you, if Kovalev does pull off the so-called upset, what does that do for his career? Because he is advanced age for a fighter, and does he continue? Does he ride off into the sunset with that win? Because it would not only be the biggest win of his career, it'd be the highest paying. So does he retire with that victory, or does he pursue other fights in the light heavy weight division. I think he'll, um, for me, I'll I'll go ahead and go first. Um, I I think that he'll pursue uh, other fights in the light heavyweight division. And also, I mean, if he wins, rematch. You know, there's a, there's a rematch possibility with Canelo. And, you know, maybe Canelo will want to get back in the ring with him, depending on how Kovalev wins. But, no, I, I don't see him retiring after this win. I think this, if he scores a win over Alvarez, I think it's something that he, it will help to erase um, the controversy of his fights against Andre Ward. Uh, I would agree. Uh, I don't see Kovalev uh, retiring if he wins. Um I, I really don't think he'd retire even if he loses. Uh, I think he would probably have one more fight and then you know try to go out and uh, uh, go out with a victory. Uh, the, the problem is if he loses, uh, uh, who's going to you know who is there for him to fight? You know, is it going to be uh, um, you know uh, uh, you know the bum of the month club that he's going to fight? Uh, but if, certainly if he wins, I think he stays in. Uh, he stays in the game. Uh, he's he's very vocal at. at saying that he's the best at light heavyweight and he'd want some sort of unification about. And you know that history with uh, Kovalev and Better BF from the amateur days, but let's go ahead and uh, move on to a little bit of a last weekend's bouts. Uh, we're going to start off here with the World Boxing Super Series finals uh, between Josh Taylor and Regis Prograce, who fought for the WBA, IBF, Ring Magazine, and WBC Diamond Belt, whatever that is. Uh, Taylor ended up winning a unanimous, excuse me, a majority decision over Pro Grace. Uh, it looks like the scorecards, he had one judge who scored it 114, 114, um, and I believe two of the other judges scored it for Taylor, uh, one of them being a little bit wider than the other. I believe 117, 112 was one of the scorecards. Um, it was a great fight. I, I thought that it's definitely a contender for one of the best fights of the year. Um, were you able to watch that fight, Stephen? And if, and if so, give us your thoughts. Uh, I was able to watch it. Uh, I thought it was a great fight. It was entertaining. Uh, my my first thought was, my God, uh, uh, Taylor's huge. Yeah. He, he doesn't look like a hundred and forty pound guy. I think he he's what five foot eleven. Yeah, yeah, he's southpaw, um, five foot eleven. He's he's pretty big. He's pretty tall. He's he's a big boy. I'd I'd love to know. Uh, I'd love to know what his walk around uh, weight is. Um, and and with that size advantage, I I think he he 
easily won eight of the 12 rounds. Um, but with that, uh, Pogra was uh, able to, to hit him quite a bit from the outside. And yeah. that, that was a little surprising to me considering Taylor had the, um, had the, uh, the reach advantage. Agreed. Taylor and definitely showed that he had a good chin or a good set of whiskers as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Pogba, I don't. He he did he knock out uh, his opponent two times ago in the World Boxing Super Series. Yeah, I believe um, for the WBA belt. And I, I apologize to our listeners out there if I mispronounce uh, his name. Uh, uh, his last fight in April of 2019 was against Kirill uh, Rilek, and he uh, stopped him in the sixth round for the uh, WBA title. And then uh, before that, he uh, won a unanimous decision against uh, Terry Flanagan. But his two fights, you know, one of them being against uh, Julius Ndongo, you know, he stopped him in the second round. So he's definitely been stopping most of his opponents. Yeah, and and he's, and I think you know the fact that he has been stopping most of his opponents, and 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 as you said, Taylor's showed that he's got a good set of uh, whiskers. It says a lot about Taylor. It'll be interesting to see how Taylor is going to do going forward against somebody who is going to be able to work the outside. And you know, I was talking about you know, Jose Ramirez as being the yeah. fight, but what what how is he going to do against? How would he do against a guy like Maurice Hooker, who is more of an outside guy and is going to be able to keep him out, probably keep him outside a little bit more because he doesn't want to work the inside uh, like Regis was was able or willing to do. Yeah, that, that's definitely a good point because, you know, Ramirez, who uh, stopped a hooker uh, earlier this year um, in one of the best fights of the year on the zone, um, I believe in the sixth round, you know, to win the WBO and WBC 140-pound uh, titles. I think he would definitely be the underdog, underdog excuse me, against Taylor. But someone like Hooker who can fight on the outside might actually be a tougher fight for someone like Taylor. But... The good news, I think, for Taylor and uh, boxing fans is that Taylor, should he become the you know undisputed champion at uh, junior lightweight, you know that's another potential opponent um, for you know the WBO welterweight champion Terrence Bud Crawford. I think that would be definitely an interesting matchup in the future. Should Taylor prove to be the absolute best at 140 pounds, I found it interesting. In watching the fight, exactly what Steven said, how Prograce had a lot of success boxing off the back foot. You know, it's almost like they switched roles. You would assume that Josh Taylor would be that guy and Prograce would be the guy who would have more success inside. But I saw a lot of bullying by Taylor. He was able to kind of keep the fight close and in the middle of the ring. Um, and even when Prograce had Taylor against the ropes, he didn't take advantage of those opportunities. He did better, in fact, fighting off the back foot. And when he was fighting off the back foot, that's when he found his most success. That was really, really odd to me, being that a guy 5'11 was able to fight so well inside because Taylor did fight very well inside. It was it was odd to see that you don't see that often um once in a while you have tall guys who actually are good at infighting he yeah paul williams one of them but taylor did very very well inside and he kind of dictated the pace when they were in that 
um, when they were in those exchanges inside. It, it was really, really odd to see. I had the fight seven rounds to five for Taylor, uh, but definitely one of the better fights that we've seen this year. Um, they interviewed Regis Progre after the fight. Um, let's listen to what he had to say in terms of a rematch, uh, whether he wants it or where he wants to go from here. I definitely, I, I definitely want a rematch. Of course, um, you know, one day you let him, you know, now, you know, I'm going to go do my thing. I'm going to talk to my team and see what we're going to do and see what's my next move we're going to make and, you know, let him do his thing. Hopefully he gets the Ramirez fight. Or, and then after that, you know, it'll be the rematch. It's still, I still feel like, you know, I'm one of the best in the world at 140. You know, I still feel like it's, even though that was number one and number two, I still can't put, maybe he's number 1A and I'm number 1B. Maybe you could put that right now, but I still I still feel the same way. You know, it was a it was a close fight. It could have definitely went either way. I thought I, I thought I won it, but of course, you know, I can't uh, I can't um, disagree with the judges. At the end of the day, the judges got the, you know, the final say and you can't disagree with them and, you know, that's how it goes. Steven, what were your thoughts on Progray's comments there about the rematch? He's clearly saying that Taylor should go on to Ramirez and then he wants to fight him again. Do you think that's the right move? Do you think Progress should, you know, pursue the rematch immediately? After seeing the fight, what are your thoughts? Well, let me comment about Regis. I think he's one of the classiest, most stand-up guys in, in boxing. Uh, he speaks his mind. Uh, he, he's he's well-spoken in that uh, he's, he's thoughtful, he's deliberate, and he, he's not a trash talker. I don't think he's a trash talker. He's not bad-mouthing people. And I think he recognizes that two things. This is, this is Taylor's moment. The whole uh, – I don't want to say the setup, but everybody, everybody was saying that after the World Boxing Super Series, whoever won – the next fight was going to be with Jose Ramirez. So I think Regis is, is acknowledging that and uh, it, it, kudos to him. He's being a gentleman for saying that. Uh, and then you also have the business, uh, the business side of things. Let's say Taylor does go win all four belts. Of course, he's going to start saying want, uh, he wants a, a rematch, claw, a rematch after that. Cause now he's got a chance to win all four belts in one shot. Uh, so, you know, it's got a dual purpose for him, uh, you know, to say that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think a rematch would be warranted. Um, I think people don't think about the differences in fighting in the United States versus the UK, where you're essentially fighting very early in the morning. What is it, like 2 to 3 a.m.? You're stepping into the ring. But, you know, these guys prepare for that by going, you know, to these places in advance. I think Taylor won the fight in the middle rounds, maybe winning like all of four through nine. I think that's where a majority of the rounds he won. We're at, um, I would love to see a rematch in the future, but I, I think it's good that Progress recognizes that he might have to earn it, you know, and I actually wouldn't mind seeing Progress. You know, if we don't get Taylor versus Ramirez, I wouldn't mind seeing Ramirez take on Progress instead. Did you guys see the comments uh, going back and forth between Javante Davis and Josh Taylor? I did see some of that. Um, listen, Gravante Davis is a tank. He's definitely one of 
I think he lives up to his nickname. He's definitely one of the... He's one of the more premier up-and-coming fighters in boxing. But listen, just like guys like Adrian Broner, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., I got to see you do it. I got to see you do it against these guys. I know his he has his best win against Jose Pedraza, stopped him in seven rounds in dominant fashion. But That, that hurts you really we, bad. We really need him to step up and fight these other guys. I mean, he fought at 130, and he didn't unify once. I mean, now is it going to be the same at lightweight at one forty? I mean, I, I don't, I don't really see that. And yeah, you're right, that did hurt, but uh, that's okay. Uh, Davis, you know, we'll we'll see how he ends up. I mean, Pedraza has had, you know, uh, worse losses. Well, no, no, maybe not worse losses, but he's had other losses, and he got he he got back to being a world champion. I think Tank right now could skip the uh, the uh, super lightweight division and go up to Walter Wade or uh, junior middleweight at this point, seeing what he looks yeah. like in between fights. Um, I, you know, Davis is, he's, he's learning from the best, uh, when it comes to self-promotion and, right. you know, he's, he's got, he's got business to attend to at 135 pounds right now. Um, and once, once you do that, then you can start talking about Josh Taylor. You said two interesting things there. He's learning from the best in terms of the self-promotion aspect, which is absolutely true. What he's not seeming to pick up is the work ethic of that same person who he's learning the promotion aspects from. Because one thing about Floyd Mayweather Jr., he walked around in shape. He stayed in shape. Hard work and dedication. To this day, he's in shape. Correct. So um, you answered a, a lot. You said a lot in that statement because Davis doesn't seem to do the same things. He doesn't have the same qualities or or traits, I would say. Not qualities, but traits because Mayweather ready to fight at any time. Davis, again, just like you said, he looks like a, a junior middleweight in between fights. It, and, you know, also, uh, you know, Larry Ellaby is on the record for saying, I believe it's Larry Ellaby, is on the record for saying, we don't think Davis is ready for Lomachenko. Well, you know, two weeks ago, that was the fight to be made at 135 pounds. All of a sudden, Josh Taylor wins, and that's who Davis is calling up and calling out. And I don't think anybody in the world would say that Josh Taylor would be a harder fight than Lomachenko. So I think Davis is just simply trying to be, you know, stay relevant at this point and get his, uh, you know, get his name out there. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, we we just want to see Davis in with better better competition. I think overall, everybody in the boxing game. So hopefully that'll be something that he steps up with, you know, in the future and him and his promoters get together and, and make that happen. But, you know, he has proven to be a draw in his hometown of Baltimore, which is definitely a positive for any fighter. But speaking of his promoter and speaking of Floyd Mayweather, this weekend we had a fighter put in a performance that was reminiscent of Floyd Mayweather Jr. And that was uh, Shakur Stevenson uh, when he pretty much shut out for the most part uh, Joette Gonzalez to win the vacant WBO featherweight title. All three judges had the fight scored 119-109. I think most people saw that fight and, you know, Gonzalez definitely put forth a great effort in the, in that seventh round of that fight. But uh, what were your thoughts on his uh, on that matchup and on Shakur's uh, per- overall performance? 
Well, I, I, I said in the in the sixth round to my, my friend who I was watching the fight with is that Gonzalez isn't changing anything. Yeah. He kept doing the same thing over and over and over again. And Shakur, uh, I, I, you know, the colloquial expression is it was easy work for Shakur. And, and it, you know, it proved to be. Uh, Shakur is going to be a monster. There's no doubt about that. Uh, this is this was just the you know this is the the first peg um, uh, on the climb up. Um, you know, I don't I don't want this. I don't think this should be the litmus test for him. It's what what is what's really facing Shakur in the in the future. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the the promotion for this fight was based on a on a personal issue between the two fighters, you know, which you know may or may not interest a lot of fans. You know, for me, it wasn't as as much of an interest. You know, I don't I didn't really care that Shakur Stevenson was dating Gonzalez's uh, sister, but you know, I guess it made it for more interesting than a normal, you know top-ranked fighter fighting for a vacant WBO fighter, which tends to happen a lot. Um, but looking at the featherweight landscape, you know, he called out Josh Warrington. Um, you know, he, he there's other guys, Leo Santa Cruz, you know, he's moving up. Oscar Valdez move, moved up to 130 as well. Rumors are that Shakur uh, may not stay at 126 that long, which makes it even more interesting for him, you know, if he moves up to 130 or eventually moves up to the lightweight division. I I could definitely see this kid being a, a stylistic nightmare for a lot of the guys, at, not only at feather bay, featherweight, but at 130 pounds as well. Yeah, well, you know, Shakur himself, like you said, he called out Warrington. I'm going to go ahead and play that clip so fans that didn't get to see that or or hear that rather can hear exactly what he said in those comments. I want Josh Warrington. Hey, Warrington, we don't got no dates. Uh, it's me and you. I'm, I'm a champion. You're a champion. You said you wasn't going to fight me unless I got a title. I got a title now. Let's work. Get it. Some, I want to be I want to be unified in 14 fights. So Stevenson said he wants to be unified in 14 fights. What do you guys think of that? Do you I, I mean, you're seeing this a lot more often. You see it more with European fighters getting title shots and and, you know, unifying earlier, you know, because of their deep, extensive amateur backgrounds. I mean, he he also has a very impressive amateur background with the Olympics and, and things of that nature. But is this too soon to be talking unification? 14 fights. No, what, are you, no, what, are you, what are your thoughts? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think the kids showed that, um, you know, he's a world champion now. And I, I think that he's grown in to, you know, being more of a man. I think when we first saw him, you know, his first couple of professional fights, you know, he, he kind of looked, uh, you know, for a lack of a better word, he looked weak. Um, and I don't mean skill wise. I mean, he didn't look like he had a lot of strength. He looked like he could be bullied. And there were moments in that fight with Gonzalez where he was the bully in the ring. So I think, why not? I mean, I, I don't see Warrington stylistically being a huge problem for Shakur Stevenson. And I think if it, if him and his team feel that they're ready, I, I feel like, why not? Let's go for it. I, uh, I agree. It's, it's not too early. Uh, I think that, you know, the problem with unification is uh, a business issue. It's not a fighter issue. And yeah. you, uh, Bob Arum, 
has you know said that he's going to call. I believe it's Frank Warren uh, in England and and make the fight. May, uh, make the fight. Uh, Warrington has said he want the, wants the fight. And on the you know the business side of the thing, this fight was in Reno, and you know on the television you could see uh, number one how small uh, of a of a space the the fight was in, and you could also see uh, a lot of empty seats. Uh, they're going to be able to go to go over to England uh, and probably sell fifteen to twenty thousand tickets for uh, for the fight. Uh, so for from from a promotional uh, business side of things, uh, it absolutely makes sense to have Shakur go over to England and face uh, Warrington, where uh, m- my belief is he'll become unified. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good opportunity for him, you know, to go over to the UK, you know, maybe get a new fan base. You know, we know how the fights in the UK are. So, you know, they spark a lot of fan interest. We have a lot of fans there that go and and support their fighters. So I think it would definitely be good, especially, you know, um, besides holding the fight in Newark, you know, New Jersey, where, you know, Shakur is from, you know, I I think besides that spot, I think it would be the best area to hold the fight. But, you know, we wanted to talk a little bit, kind of switching gears here, Um, you know, Stephen. A serious topic. Serious topic. You know, Stephen, you were live uh, ringside, actually, um, a couple weeks ago at the uh, Alexander Usyk heavyweight debut fight where... um, you know, you were there live and uh, actually saw in person and, you know, took photos of the uh, Patrick Day, Charles Conwell fight. So, you know, we wanted to get, you know, kind of your thoughts about that situation and what what it was like in the arena, you know, from someone who was actually there ringside. Uh, yeah, I was I was there um, and uh, it was it was troubling, uh, you know, on a, on a personal aspect, if I can personal at a time like this is mm-hmm. nothing to really do with me right uh but it, it affected me as a person seeing that especially you know for the sport that i love quite frankly the only sport that i follow uh in 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 seeing the worst thing that could possibly happen um the first knockdown happened uh on the opposite side of the ring uh from me uh so when when day stood up again he stood up right away um, I could clearly see his eyes. And I said to the person next to me, uh, the kid's going to get knocked out. You can see it in his eyes. And, you know, the fight went on. Um, and Day uh, uh, stayed in, in the fight. He was competitive. Um, it, it, he, he wasn't, he was clearly losing the fight, uh, but he wasn't, he wasn't getting his ass kicked, if that makes right. sense. Right. And, he was he was certainly getting up uh, after each fight, uh, after each knockdown, uh, without a uh, without without any issues. And you know the ref uh, the ref was an experienced ref. Uh, he's done some title fights. I know he's, he was in uh, one of the Terence Crawford title fights. Um, so it wasn't like it, it wasn't like there was a ref in there who didn't know what he was doing. I don't think the ref did anything wrong. Um. You know, when the knockdown occurred, um, you know, I, I could I could see from uh, about 15 feet away, you know, like you could see Patrick Day's eyes fluttering. Uh, they were closed and fluttering. He uh, you immediately knew something wasn't right. And I think the ref got to about the count of four and realized he was out. And, and the, fortunately, the doctors were right there. It was on the side of the ring where the doctors were. 
uh, and they immediately jumped in. And, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the audience got quiet. Everybody was attending to them. And, um, you know, it wasn't, you know, you hear a lot of times about fighters, uh, you know, getting hurt in the ring, um, complaining about stuff. People sort of ignore it and they, they slump over in the, uh, uh, in the locker room. Um, they were the, the, the medical, the medical staff were on him right away. Um, and you know, I think they did everything they could right away. Um, once, once Patrick was, was, um, uh, in, in the locker room, he hadn't been transported to the hospital yet, obviously. Um, they're still trying to take care of him backstage. Uh, you know, the referee was showing some concern. Uh, there were uh, a lot of the uh, the various officials, probably from the Illinois Commission, as well as uh, the various sanctioning bodies, uh, assuring them that, you know, the ref uh, didn't do anything wrong. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, he was doing his job. And I believe the ref was doing his job and the ref did do a good job as well. Um, we didn't know in in the uh, uh, in the arena what happened um, later um, uh, uh, later in the night. Usyk's uh, uh, somebody from Usyk's team was standing next to me ringside, and I asked him what happened, and uh, he had said he heard heard um, that Day had slipped into a coma. Um, so apparently, he had slipped into a coma pretty early, possibly on the transport to the hospital. Uh, mm-hmm. The hospital is maybe three miles from the arena as the crow flies. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, yeah, and, and it took them to Northwest Memorial, uh, which quite frankly is one of the best hospitals in the world. If, if, you know, God forbid something happens, it's one of the hospitals you want to go to. Um, you know, they didn't announce anything to the audience what went on, um, you know, nor, nor should they have. Uh, but there was certainly an air uh, uh, in the immediate aftermath um, hey, something tra- something tragic happened, um, and and you know let's let's not get too excited uh, about this. Uh, his opponent, Charles Conwell, um, you know, once he saw something had happened, you know, he still has this, the, the the you know the celebratory nature of winning is still there, uh, but it was defl- it was deflated pretty quickly, you know, and, and uh, you know Conwell is pretty vocal on Twitter. Uh, you know, expressing his remorse for, for what happened. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope Conwell recovers. Um, you know, he, he certainly meant no harm, uh, in, in this manner to, to Patrick day. Um, and it's just, it just, you know, it's, it's a horrible event. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure why it was caused. Uh, I don't know what his, his weigh in was. Um, I don't know if he was dehydrated. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff about how day had a nutrition degree himself, uh, and therefore should have known how his body was reacting. I don't necessarily think that's true. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the, the first to say, uh, a degree doesn't mean squat, right? Experience means things. Um, and I think there's probably just a track, you know, it's just, it's just one of those unfortunate tragedies. It's just, it's, it's absolutely horrible. And that would, you know, uh, encourage people to go on the, uh, the, the Patrick Day's uh, uh, GoFundMe page to uh, help out the family as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. We actually have that uh, posted on uh, Front Proof Media's uh, Facebook page currently. If you guys want to go there and uh, contribute to the Patrick Day um, GoFundMe. Now, the discussion has turned into fighter safety a lot since this tragedy happened. Um, you know, it's hard to kind of circumvent and point down to one particular thing, but is there something that you feel that can be done in the sport of boxing that can make it a bit safer, Steven? Well, so uh, it's a great topic. It's it's one I enjoy and uh, I enjoy discussing. There's science stuff that's 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 way above my my pay grade, um, and you know we have to start with the premise that you know the the intention of boxing is to hurt people, right? Let's not forget that, right? And that's part of the sport, and that's the appeal. So there's always going to be some degree of injury. How do you stop it? Uh, uh, Teddy Atlas is very vocal about making a national commission um, and overseeing things and making things uniform from from state to state. Well, uh, one of the things that I love about boxing uh, is there isn't um, a, a national organization. It's 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 the libertarian sport. Um, you 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 reap what you sow. You pave your own way, you pull yourself on, up from the, the, your own bootstraps, whatever the cliche may be. Um, so I don't think a national commission with uniform standards or standards is necessarily it. The Muhammad Ali Act actually has a provision in it uh, uh, saying uh, that there is supposed to be some sort of agreement um, between all of the, the various commissions. Um, so arguably the structure is already there. Um, I, I like, I'm sorry. I like, I, you know, the, 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 the main issue seems to be like dehydration, uh, what that does to the body. Um, I know when I play hockey, when I'm dehydrated and I play hockey, uh, I perform, uh, a lot worse than if I'm properly hydrated. Um, and to make that analogy to, to, to boxing, you're getting hit in the head and you just drop 15 pounds over a week. Of course, you're not going to perform well. Uh, I like what the state of California uh, appears to be doing by having um, a rehydration clause to only uh, they want to lower it to 10 percent at 15 percent now of, of rehydration for your, your weigh in weight. Um, the idea meaning that people are going to um uh, people are going to start uh, fighting at their natural weights, and which should be safer. Uh, we have to keep in mind if people start fighting at their natural weights, it's going to decimate the lower weight divisions. So what's, yeah. what's that going to what's that going to do to boxing as a whole? Um, but I think if if, if scientifically speaking, again, I'm, you know, I'm no scientist. If the issue is dehydration and and weights, I I think there needs to be weigh-ins along the way. You know, a thirty weigh-in, thirty-day weigh-in, a fifteen-day in weigh-in, a day of, uh, the night before, the 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 morning before, uh, and making making sure that people are within that uh, contracted weight limit for a longer period of time, so their body's going to adjust. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean. I think there are a lot of guys who, you know, cut weight to make a, a certain weight class and, you know, it's probably in a weight class that they shouldn't be fighting in. One thing I'll say that uh, as far as what a commission can do, 
I think guys, maybe they shouldn't fight, you know, in these tough fights immediately after having a tough fight. I mean, for example, you know, Francisco Vargas recently fought a a couple weeks ago and he, you know, fought in Mexico um, against a guy, Ezekiel Aviles. I mean, he ended up winning, but, you know, the fight before that, he he had really gotten a beating uh, against Miguel Burchelt and was stopped after six rounds. And, you know, the other guy who, who passed out earlier this year or excuse me, who passed away earlier this year, Hugo Hugo Santillan in uh, Argentina. He, before that fight, he had... um against Eduardo Abreu in um, in Argentina. He had lost a, a clear 10-round unanimous decision against Artem um, Harutu Union in Germany. So I think that's something that commissions can go ahead and take a look at, you know, as far as, um, you know, helping maybe stop, uh, you know, some of these incidents happening. But I think the bottom line is you're correct. I don't think that there's a black and white answer to this. And, you know, it's boxing. At the end of the day, there's, in, there's inherent risk just participating in this just participating in the sport period yeah there there's you know it's i I, i'm going to use a pejorative here it's human cockfighting right and you know we love it and you're going to have scoundrels uh uh, that come to this sport how do you clean up and get the scoundrels out um and you know you know, Muhammad Ali, uh, in one of his last fights, if not his last fight, uh, had been declared medically ineligible by a doctor. Uh, but Las Vegas, uh, in the mid-70s, said, we're going to lose too much money for gambling uh, and hotel revenue. So we're going to mm. put Muhammad Ali in the ring. Uh, uh, what did that do to his Parkinson's? I, know, I, I don't know, but he clearly right. shouldn't have He clearly shouldn't have fought. Um, so, you know, how do we... Uh, how do we tell the promoters who are the, the, you know, the money people, the investors, um, Hey, the, you know, the $10,000 you're going to make off this local show, uh, isn't worth some guy's life. It isn't worth him. You know, if he doesn't die, him being a vegetable. Um, and I guess, you know, that is where the commissions can come in and say, uh, uh implement the weight rules. Um, and quite frankly, I don't know what the weight rules are here in Illinois. Uh, they're, I would imagine they're nothing like what's going on in California. Um, but they can, they can, the commissions can independently uh, uh, implement weight rules. Uh, they can uh, start looking at records and and saying, okay, this guy has lost the last five fights by. Um, by by knockout or you know his last fights were all his last five fights were all against people with losing records he shouldn't be in there against guy uh, a guy um uh with a with a winning record um you know the commissions have to approve the matchmaking um and that could have something to do with it you know patrick day and conwell of course were were uh i think evenly matched that wasn't the issue it would have been the weight thing um but the, the, you know, the commissions really, uh, you know, it's going to step up to the commissions. I don't like the idea of a national commission like some people are, uh, are talking about. Yeah, it, it, it'd be very, that. very hard to implement anyway. Very, very hard. Um, so we really appreciate all your opinions and insight today. Um, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. But before we do that, if fans wanted to kind of see your work because you are a photographer as well they want to see your work where can they find steven weinberg at 
Oh, well, thank you, first of all. Um, so uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen B. Weinberg. Uh, and then on uh, Flickr as well, you can search for uh, Stephen Weinberg and you can see uh, not only my boxing photography, but a lot of other things, um, macro uh, macro pictures of uh, insects, which uh, uh, drives my, nut, my, uh, my wife crazy, but something I enjoy. They're so. awesome, man. I like them. I really I, enjoy them. They're I like awesome. them too. I, I, I frequently have chats with you about that, as you know. So I, I think it's great. Um, and if you want to, we're going to open up the question and answer portion. We've said this on the last few shows. If you fans out there want to send us a question, you can email us at fpnation at frontproofmedia.com. Also, we can be found on Instagram at frontproofmedia and at frontproofnation. Or you can find us on Twitter at frontproofmedia. Did you have any closing notes, Hector? No, no, that was all. Uh, you know, I want to thank Steven for joining us on the show. As always, it's always a pleasure to converse and talk about boxing with Steven, one of the best minds in the sport. You know, check out any of his work on frontproofmedia.com or, you know, follow him on Instagram at Steven B. Weinberg. You know, um, you know, I have no uh, other closing thoughts as of now. I really appreciate your time, Steven. Uh, and until next time, this is episode five. Thank you guys very much. I greatly enjoyed it. Uh, uh, greatly enjoyed myself. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen.